Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. My guest today went from being a waste offender in a previous business to a sustainability crusader. Yep, like an evangelist after seeing the effect polystyrene was having in her own business. Joanne Howarth is the founder of Planet Protector Packaging, which owns a brand called Woolpack. Now, they produce sustainable, recyclable, and biodegradable insulated packaging made from sheep wool waste. That's right. The wool that is wasted that comes off the sheep's back. They're on a mission to eliminate polystyrene, which is one of the worst types of plastics in existence, and become the market leader in sustainable thermal packaging. Since launching in 2016, the Woolpack product has removed 6.5 million polystyrene boxes from supply chains and stopped it from ending up in our oceans. Some of their clients include DHL, Blackmores, and a number of food businesses across seafood, meat, cheese and chocolate, and most importantly, right now, which is really topical, pharmaceuticals. In 2020, the business grew by 50% with increased revenue to farmers and 3,500 tonnes of waste wool, stuff that was going to be otherwise wasted, has been diverted away from landfill, it's been commercialised and given a brand new life. I'm going to ask Joe how she's grown the business so rapidly, the importance of sustainability as a, a growing concern of consumers, but also how she uses that as part of a business proposition. This is a really interesting product, so let's get into it. Joanne Howarth, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you, Mark. It's a now, pleasure. We're going to talk about Woolpack a little bit later, but let's just talk about, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I actually really love the concept, but I want to talk to you about who you are. I mean, I'm, Joanne, I want to talk a little bit about your background. And as I noticed from the brief that I got, there's that uh, you have an economics degree and an MBA from the University of Sydney, Sydney University. Yes, I do. Um, and uh, and a lot of my guests are usually in their twenties uh, and thirties, and you're slightly older than that. Um, and it looks like you've done a total pivot of um, your life into this new business. By the am I correct? I am. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's and you have done totally a total, correct. Total pivot. So yeah. why don't you just take us back a little bit? Because it's great to see mature people doing new businesses um, and learning from what they did in the past. And maybe yours is probably not a pivot. Yours looks like a complete. 180 degree change in terms of what you used to do. So take me back. Go go back a little bit. You're a are you always born and bred in Cronulla? You're a Cronulla girl? I am. Yeah, yeah. A yeah. Shire girl. A Shire girl. Yes. Um, and what did you do when you're twenties? I mean, I mean, yeah, I see you got an economics degree, but what did you do with your economics degree? I started actually in property, which is very big turnaround. Um, and thereafter, very shortly, I got involved in the food industry. I was always working in a hospitality during the time I studied, but um, I got involved in the restaurants, caterings, event, um, even retail food. So my my background is really essentially in that space. And it's really ultimately that, as much as I've pivoted and done 180 degree, it's really that that's led me to this position. That well, why don't you explain that? Like, so why don't you tell me a little bit about what it was that made you try and work out a, a solution to a problem. Yes. Okay. So together with a business partner, we owned Arizona restaurants and bars. And uh, that was a very successful early enterprise that was, um, you know, a themed restaurant. 
thereafter we moved. Well, like a steak restaurant. Yeah, Americana, cowboys yeah. and Indians, sexy cowgirls, yeah, yeah. that sort of thing. And uh, thereafter we got a bit tired of the licensing laws and the late nights and everything. And we bought a fish market up in Nelson Bay. Um, so a, a very big fish market that was doing cooked fish and chips, you know, fresh seafood, wholesale business. And it was that because Nelson Bay and Port Stephens is a seasonal location, I was looking for opportunities to try and even out the cash flow. And I won the contract to supply seafood to Australia's first meal kit company. And that was very exciting at that stage. We prepackaged seafood portions and it was beautiful seafood from the pristine waters of Port Stephens. And so from there, we proved to be such a reliable and such a good supplier to this meal kit company that we actually won the contract to pick and pack their boxes. To the consumer? Yes, the meal kit to the consumer. So are we talking about those um, um, dietary things? Are we talking about those like just... It's already turns up cooked and ready just to put in the oven. No, not a no. ready cooked meal. This is a meal kit. Right. Um, where you get the recipes and all the ingredients fresh. So it's time saving. It eliminates the decision around what to cook for dinner. Um, it's convenient. It's delivered to your door. Yeah. And it's a subscription model. So you did the seafood ones or everything? So I did everything. So, Ultimately, right. I started doing the seafood and then ultimately what they were looking for is um, an opera, like somebody to establish their operation So you're basically running a logistics business. I was. For, uh, for a meal prep company. Yes. Who had lots and lots of consumers out there in Australia. Well, at that stage they only had 400 consumers. Right. But we could see the potential. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. And the, the, these organisations, because I remember when they all popped up many years ago, um, the, the deliveries used to happen early in the morning so the sunlight didn't get, you know, like the, these things could be kept cold or something like that. Like but they were delivering fresh. in polystyrene. Yeah, that's what it was. Yes. So, so that, you know, I, mean, I actually tried them out a few times and to be honest, I didn't like the box. I didn't like it because, like, they used to take them back. You used to put the – is that right? You put the polystyrene box out the front. Yes. And then they would swap it over for the old polystyrene – with the new polystyrene box. Initially, they didn't do that. They didn't. No. Right. So um, because it was a subscription model – after six or eight weeks, people had six or eight polystyrene boxes kicking around their and backyard. Shit, those polystyrene, I hate them because even when you crush them to put them in the recycling bin, I don't know if you're allowed to do that. But you're not. Polystyrene, get little balls of polystyrene goes everywhere, and yes. my dogs used to try and eat it and all sorts of things. It was a punish. Yes, that's exactly right. Is the reason why was it your idea to deliver in polystyrene, or they no. said do we want to deliver in polystyrene for the Correct. for the thermal effects? Yes, the thermal like cubic cool. See, Mark, polystyrene has dominated the insulated packaging space for 60 years. So people don't know any other alternative. It's like the old Eskies, the cheap Eskies. It is. You need to buy at the servo. It you know, is. It's, That's, it's, yes. It's, I mean, for those people who don't know polystyrene, it's basically a foam box. It is. An old, old-fashioned foam box. Or what we used to buy at servo, you know, like it's a cheap Esky. And not an one Esky, of the cheap worst one. types of plastic. Right. Because as you that. say, well, polystyrene is made from non-renewable fossil fuels. So it takes 500 years to break down if, in fact, it ever does. So it's so problematic because it breaks it down into small microbeads which then escape into the waterways and into the ocean. And the animals. And then they're ingested by yeah. the fish. They move up the food chain. They threaten And then we eat them. Correct. Yeah. And in some recent research that I read, they found evidence of polystyrene fragments in humans yeah. at autopsy. Yeah, and no, I, I, I seem to recall uh, hearing or reading about that myself and I thought to myself it probably can come from the fish because because the polystyrene, when they make the polystyrene, once they got it's in balls and then they somehow inject them into a, some sort of mould and the balls stick all together. Yes, they But it's do. just it's, it's like, a, 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 um, like something similar to what you would see if you were looking at a, um, a beehive. It's sort of like... They're all like a like compressed a compressed together. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And uh, I don't like it myself. I mean, I actually, to be honest, I wouldn't buy anything with that polystyrene box. There, but you were you were part of this uh, horrible thing. I was, thing. and that's how many years you do this for? I, I did it for three years. Yeah. But I'm um, not with polystyrene. I have to say. So it was. This was five and a half years ago, and the the evidence. Everybody else did it. Yeah. Yeah. The evidence was there that. Um, 
e-commerce was growing, there were huge opportunities, and the only way that people could ship temperature-sensitive goods was polystyrene. So at the same time as running this very big business... Well, yeah, did you have your, fi- your fish wholesale business at the same time? Yes, I did. Yeah, up at Nielsen yeah. I'm a bit of a serial entrepreneur, I have to say, yeah. But, um, yes, yeah, so at the same time that I was doing this, I was scouring the globe and looking for a sustainable alternative. And that but what, was, what made you do that? But what, why? What because I'm a passionate greenie. I've always been, you know, like I think it's all very important. Like we live in this linear economy, you know, we, we waste, we use, you know, and, you know, I'm welcoming the, um, the move towards the circular economy. Like we need to leave a legacy for future, future generations. And, and did, was there a moment though? I mean, like, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, you and I, I'm probably older than you, but we got brought up in an environment where we never thought about this shit. Um, we do now, but we never thought about this stuff. It wasn't even a thing. Um, and you would never question, I would never, any when I was younger, I would never question this stuff. Younger people today question this stuff all the time. But was there a moment you thought about it? Because for me, it was more a build. It was a gradual thing. I mean, over time, I've become aware of it. Over time, I've started thinking about it. Over time, I've become, I wouldn't call myself an evangelist or a crusade, but crusader, but over time I'm an objector to it and I just decide I'm not going to use that product. I've done nothing about it. I just decide not to use the product. You went one step further, done something about it. But can you explain the process, how it affected you and was there a moment? I think one day I've got a photo of me standing up on the mezzanine office in the warehouse and it got to the point this business scaled very quickly. Um, They were spending a lot on marketing and it got to the point that we were shipping 35,000 polystyrene boxes every week. So if you can imagine the B-doubles sitting in the driveway trying to unload the polystyrene, so everything arrived, the meat, the vegetables, the produce, everything arrived in polystyrene, and then the polystyrene arrived for us to pick and pack and dispatch all around the country. And as it did, the toxic fumes, we had a dedicated roster for forklift drivers that were just responsible for moving the polystyrene. So that was the moment that I just knew that it was unsustainable. When you say toxic fumes, you get fumes. You can smell when you've got that much polystyrene coming into your warehouse, the chemical smell is very strong. Wow, I didn't know that. But, um, you know, as I say, it's being used, it's even used in the pharmaceutical industry and has been for 60 years. And that's because it's a very good thermal insulator, but it was unsustainable. And if you can imagine when you're shipping polystyrene boxes, Mark, you're shipping air. So not very many boxes fit on a truck at one time. So it's They're really inefficient. very inefficient and the carbon footprint and everything is wrong with it. Yeah, so that that makes sense too. So, but that's interesting that you should say that because the polystyrene box, um, you never, you can't pack it properly, or you can't pack it, optimize optimize the packaging, the what you can put inside the box because all these shapes are different. Your shapes are different. There's no malleability. The thing doesn't um, mold around your yes. shapes. So you're going to have fresh air in there. As a result of that. It's inefficient because you're going to have, you've got 100 boxes, there's going to be 100 of these boxes on top of each other. Maybe you could, if you're able to put something that a mould around it, you might be able to, instead of having all the same number of things in 100 boxes, you might be able to put them in 60 boxes, which means you can put more on the on the ship or more on the truck or more on the train or more on the plane, whatever it is you're, you're using to transport it, which means your carbon footprint from that form of uh, transport will be less. Absolutely. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's exactly right. Right. And people, you know, like unless you can afford to um, buy a mould for a polystyrene box to have it custom made, people ordinarily have to revert to the standard range. Where do these polystyrene boxes come from, by the way? They're manufactured all over Australia. In, in Australia, the Australian, yeah, the Australian which base. defies made. belief. Wow. And uh, so someone is becoming made a billionaire. Someone is becoming a billionaire out of the number of boxes that are being made polystyrene boxes. I'm box. sure. With the number of boxes that are being shipped across Australia and used for export. Still today. Still today. That's I need mate. you to connect with your high network of friends. That's well, they won't stop it if they're making money out of it. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's that's yeah. the problem. But a bit, it, it, and governments need to step in involved, get involved in these sort of things. So, 
Do you? I mean, you, you remember the moment you where you said you're standing up on top of on your mezzanine level, looking down your factory, and you could see all this polystyrene coming in and going out. Where were you sending it to? What, where, where did it go? Where's it go? When you, when you, when you finish, when you got all the waste, you got a big pile of waste. What happens to it? Well, technically, the people that manufacture polystyrene say it's recyclable. It's only recyclable if you have a machine to do it. But less than twenty five percent of polystyrene that goes out is recycled. They can break it down and, and rebuild it, like a re- a remold yes, it. Yes, yes. Yes. So that that requires re- the, the people who buy, taking it back. That's right. And if you get it back, it breaks down in the meantime and it goes into the waterways. Yeah. So it doesn't come back. It's, and the, and the, yeah. the consumers um, that you were delivering to? Were abusing me. Were they? Yes. Why? Because you were delivering in a polystyrene box? Because we were delivering in a polystyrene box. They didn't box. like it. And this is five years ago and consumers really didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. If you think historically. I, I didn't like it because like, I tried one of those meal prep companies, right? And yes. I didn't like the polystyrene box. Not yeah. because I wasn't really thinking about the environmental side, but I thought, well, yes. how am I going to get rid of this thing? Yeah, And I didn't exactly. like storing it either. I didn't like keeping it. Well, you can't. It's not curbside recyclable. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no way to dispose of it. Can I ask you a question? Are you allowed to put that in your weight, your yeah. uh, yellow bin? No, you're not. You're not. I was no. doing it. Shit, I thought I didn't realise that. I didn't well, realize you're that. a waste offender, Mark. I didn't realise that I wasn't allowed to do it. I thought that was recyclable and that was something I should put in that bin. So I should put it in the red bin as opposed to the yellow bin. Well, you, they won't take it. So, so what am I yeah. supposed to do with it? Well, that's exactly the question. Yeah. Where am I going to take it? It kicks around on the, the footpath and breaks down and blows away and yes. So, so there's no, there's, that's a, there is that's, no mechanism, yeah, that for recycling sense. through curbside mechanism, yeah. So, yeah. So what, so. So consumers were complaining. They loved the concept. To you. Yes. So all the or time. Or to your drivers. Well, to the drivers, to us, people on the hotline, on social media, like it was a constant challenge. And, um, you know, this was very much not aligned with my personal views and it was that that really led me to look for a more sustainable alternative. Right. So can you explain to me and our audience at what point you thought your new product was going to be the thing that would be able to replace this? I mean... How did you go about that process? Well, I pulled together a very couple, a couple of very smart people and we did a lot of research probably over the course of 12 months and we looked at all different natural fibres. Um, because the world is moving away from plastic, we wanted things that were biodegradable and broke down. I was inspired by some work that had been done in Europe about 15 years ago. Nothing really came of it. But it inspired me to look at wool as a means of insulation. And so really what we like to say is we've borrowed from nature. So just as the wool keeps the sheep warm in winter. And us. Yes, indeed. And so too it keeps them cool in summer. And so Is that right? Yes, it's incredible. So um, what we've done is leverage the thermal properties of wool um, to develop this technology that actually outperforms polystyrene. I think it's quite brilliant. Um, it, it's, and I feel like I'm on an episode of The Inventors, but um, uh, um, which not many people would have watched, but it was an old ABC show, as I recall. It was a great show. I used to love it. Um, how the hell did you fall upon this one product with its characteristics or did you sort of say, look, here, there's a hundred things I'm going to choose from and I'm going to just, uh, and you ended up narrowing it down to wool. Okay, so we looked essentially at a variety of different natural products. We looked at plant materials. We looked at different types of fibres, cotton gin trash, coir from coconuts, um, pineapple leaves, like really interesting things. But wool by its nature is the best insulator on the planet. So you had wool on the list. You had a list. Yes, we had a list of all the different natural fibres and we tested various. This was over a period of 18 months. So this is important for our audience because lots of our audience think that they have solutions to problems or, uh, you know, better solutions to and getting yes. better outcomes, but a lot of them don't know how to go about it. So you actually sat down and you probably researched it through the various online means that we have today and or probably spoke to experts, but did you actually have a piece of paper um, It sort of said, uh, 
here's the, here's the 20 things I'm going to look at and I'm going to test these 20 things and I'm going to rate them? Yes, we did. Right. Yeah. Could you just explain that to our audience? Yes. Yeah, so um, we looked, we did a lot of um, desktop research around all the different types of natural fibres and um, looked at the thermal performance of each of those. Thermal being, you just explained thermal. Thermal doesn't necessarily mean um, retention of heat. It also means re- Retention of cold. Retention of cold as well. Yes, that's yeah. right. So we looked at the properties of each of those fibres. How did you know about this as a science? This is a science. So how did well, you know about it? Well, only because I'd read this article about how they'd done research using wool um, for insulation. So a lot of times wool is used in housing now um, as an alternative to the polyester pink bats. So there's a big global movement more towards um, natural fibres. So just reading all of that and thinking about it, we put together the list. So it's, it's reuse of waste. Reuse of what, waste. Our product is made out of a waste material. Yeah, so but, but that's probably the um, next iteration, though, of wool as, it a, is a, the as a thermal. So, so let's yeah. not talk about that. The future. I'll, I'll go to I'll go to the that in the, after the break because initially you said let's look at wool as a th- Thermal properties of wool. Yes. But then you actually said, let's look at the waste wool as a more efficient way of getting wool as your product because you, you don't use wool. You don't well, go and shear a sheep. necessarily. Like you say, there's been multiple iterations. Yep. So as much as I was inspired by wool, with my background in the food industry, I knew nothing about wool. I didn't know about the different types, the different breeds of sheep, the different coarse fibres, medulated fibres, and it was such a very steep learning curve. But I felt that I was really onto something and that's what drove me to pursue this. In hindsight, I think I was a little bit cocky maybe because I thought I'm from Australia, we have the best wool in the world, Australia and New Zealand, you know, like... We have a great affinity with the wool industry and sheep and, and everything. It's going to be a great story. But what I very quickly learned through the process is the type of wool that we were generally, um, you know, farming in this country was not the type of wool that, number one, that I could afford, or number two, it wasn't suitable for my product. For the characteristics, the thermal characteristics. Yeah, the properties of the wool, like Australia traditionally is renowned for the merino, which is the best wool in the world. And a lot of that is shipping to Hugo Boss in Italy. So it was very unaffordable. But through the process in developing the product, we saw that it was the the coarse wool that works better. It provides more insulation. So when you shear the sheep, it's the underbelly of the sheep. It's all the bits around the edges the bits that really have no commercial value in terms of the, uh, in terms of clothing in terms of clothing they're not suitable for the textile industry so it's not fine enough no that's exactly it's very coarse it's wiry it's like a little bit like dry hair um, <laughs> you know and, um, and so it, it was that type of blend and so then once we had the concept that it was the coarse wool that worked better we had to put together our proprietary blend of what would deliver optimum performance. So there's a lot of science involved behind the technology, but um, it was a great learning how do, you, how do you? I mean, how do you get a scientist to help you out with this sort of stuff? I mean, how do you find an expert? I mean, people go, oh, shit, where do I find an expert? Do you get it? you out at this university and you know, knock on their doors? I mean, how do you find an expert to help you out here? Well, we are very connected in that academic space. We have lots of projects going with multiple universities, but I was very fortunate that early days... I came across um, a a wool physicist. So he's a scientist and he's had 40 years experience working with wool and natural fibres. And so he could see the vision. He's a very visionary man. And he came on to my advisory board and supported us with the technical knowledge. Because you you need this stuff. I mean, these new ideas need this sort of scientific um, side. Yes. So you need a, a wool physicist. Um, sort of gives it cred. Um, apart from the fact he, he will work out technical stuff for you, but yes, uh, outwardly he gives you the cred. How that's the hell right. you, everyone's saying, yeah, well, that's great. She knew something. How did you find this person? I mean, how, how do other people find these people? How By you... digging. It's like I live and breathe my business. Like, you know, I never lose sight of my why. That's why mm. I'm in business. 
We have, you know, like that's what drives us. So I connect with people all around How the globe. How did you connect with him? Was it him, is it, or her? Yes, it's How a him. How yeah. did you connect with him? He's in New Zealand because shortly after we opened here in Australia, um, some big customers in New Zealand reached out and we started to try and supply them. Anyway, and then we moved into the New Zealand market. We established an operation over there and he saw what we were doing and he reached out to us. So, yes, it's it's amazing. And so, around the other way, he sort yeah. of said, look, I reckon I can do something better here. That's right. I can support you. I think it's wonderful what you're doing. Like we all need to be doing. He has some magnificent projects of his own, um, yeah, that are just mind-boggling. That's fantastic. Yeah. So we're going to go to the break. I'm going to come back from the break. I want to talk to you about the iterations of your product. I mean, it's right here in front of me. Um, there's a there's a box with a whole lot of nice, cool stuff written all over it, and uh, there's a, a lamb or a sheep looking at me um, on the side of the box. But then inside the box is your... Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, your blanket. It's like a blanket. Yeah, it's like a blanket. Um, yeah. And uh, that's what it looks like to me. And uh, I want to talk to you about how it all works. So we're going to go to the break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about your product. But we then want to talk about how you market your product and, and, and who's using your product and what difference it's making to the marketplace. And I'm talking about the marketplace for crap. Yes, absolutely. We're back from the break, and I'm sitting here with Joe. Joe's the founder of a business called Woolpack. She's she's built a business which provides an alternative to polystyrene boxes, which you know we're all used to. Um, and uh, the the punish that polystyrene actually and, and or the problem polystyrene poses for all of us, not just in an environmental sense, but like if you're just stuck with these friggin' boxes, what the hell am I going to do with them? I never know what to do with them. And we talked about um, her journey of well, she was a, a waste offender. <laughs> as we probably all were, but she went and did, the difference between her and all of us is I might have just said I'm not going to buy those boxes anymore, but she actually went about doing something about it, changing the way things happen. And I have in front of me here, which some of you might be able to see from some of her videos, I have what looks to be, it's a, it's a wool-based product. Um, and Joe explained it's uh, the coarser wool is important. The coarser wool, the wool that, um, you know, the f- people who make you know, jackets and suits and things don't want. They want the nice fine merino wool. But this is the coarse wool, the stuff that's sort of closer to the body of the animal. And I'm looking at it sort of wrapped in uh, probably I'd imagine it's a, uh, a biodegradable something or other. I don't know what it is. Compostable. Compostable. Yes. Uh, biodegradable and or compostable wrapping. And it lines the inside of a cardboard box, which is nicely adorned with animals and things like that. Um, let's... This is obviously the final, not the final product. This is the latest iteration of where you started. It is. So take the audience through how these iterations work. So, you know, maybe you can remember how you first lined your first box. Maybe you didn't line the first box. I don't know what you did with the um, course wall in the beginning. So just take me through some of the iterations. I think the biggest challenge for us was getting the blend of fibres right. So that's our propriety. That's what's patented. And... um. So what we do, Mark, is we work with our clients to understand their supply chain because we want to give them a fit-for-purpose solution. Unlike polystyrene, where there's one polystyrene box and everybody uses it, if you're shipping chemotherapy drugs from here to Darwin, um, you need a very different formulation than if you're shipping a meal kit from Sydney to Parramatta. 
Yep. So, and the, the, the variables that we control are the, the density, the thickness, the type of fibres. And so in doing that, we develop what's right without putting too much raw material in and charging the customer too much. So you don't overdo it, but you don't underdo it. That's right. We, yeah. we just want something. And the wool's job is to keep the product temperature stable. So you can't, for instance, put a hot meal inside and expect that the temperature will be lowered. So the, the product, before it goes into the box, needs to be preconditioned. So it goes into the box with a gel ice, a refrigerant, and you close the wool over the top. And when the initial customer started to use this product, they doubled their business over seven months. And they did so because they were able to open delivery windows in faraway places. All of a sudden, they were able to deliver to Darwin and Rockhampton, all out of Sydney. Is that that because, Joe, this packaging lasts longer than the polystyrene, right? Correct. So that outperforms polystyrene. Therefore, they were able to deliver to more people more more at different times. Yes. As opposed to before. I used to remember before they used to deliver like three or four o'clock in the morning or with those polystyrene boxes, those food prep things used to get delivered in the morning anyway. Yes. And uh, now this opens up different delivery windows to customers. Well, it does, but it opens up new markets too. Because before with polystyrene, they couldn't, they were based in Sydney, they couldn't travel from Sydney to Darwin and ensure that the food was still safe when it arrived. So by virtue of the thermal capacity of the wool, um, they were able to open up and, and deliver up to far north Australia. And, th- and this wool, where do, you actually, where do you source the wool from? So um, we deal directly with farmers um, I have to say that when I started, it was my vision to use 100% Australian wool and to manufacture here in Australia. And very quickly, um, it was very disappointing to learn that Australia has no capability, no production around wool anymore. So during the 70s and... Uh, well, well, how do you mean? I don't understand. We don't, it it we... went offshore. When, when production, how do you mean? So, so production, we, we grow sheep here, our, we have sheep. We have sheep, yep. but for wool to be usable, yeah. it needs to be scoured. And so um, there's two scourers, two wool scourers left in the country. Scour means what? I don't know what that is. Scouring means washing. Right. Okay, so the washing and the wool is washed just with soap and boiling hot water. And it goes through six different baths to make the wool, it re- re- um, removes all the vegetable matter. It makes it fluffy like a baby sort of you know, like a little tiny baby's jumper. It's lovely and fluffy and it goes to the next process, which is the felting. So there's two wool scourers left in the country. So we shear our sheep. We shear we our got, sheep and then we send it to China to be scoured. Oh, right. So we don't do the scouring here anymore. We don't do the scouring. Disappointing. Anyway. It's unbelievable. So and yes. you're, you're, you can't go and pick the wool up off the floor of the shearer shed because you have to have it, you need to get it scoured. That's correct, yeah. yes. Right. So the scouring is done offshore. So we send it away. <laughs> which is ludicrous. Then what? Then d- and then the wool comes back here, but there's no felting in Australia. Felting means what? Felting means making it, like you said, it looks like a blanket, like like you felt a hat. This is a felting process right. and there's no felting in Australia. So in line with everything else that's gone offshore, manufacturing doesn't exist in Australia and this is a real challenge. So we send the wool to China to, to have it scoured and then we... Basically bathed. Yes, bathed, <laughs> Washed, yes, yeah. yeah. And then it comes back... And we're manufacturing in New Zealand. So the, the, the felting happens in New Zealand? It does. And just recently I was having a discussion with um, Minister Trevor Evans, who's the Assistant Minister for the Environment, and we'd won numerous awards and we have great dialogue happening with him. And he said, I'd really love to come and see your operation. Where, which state are you based? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm in Auckland. And he's like, really? Why is that? And I explained to him that we don't have that capability. So at the moment, I'm leading a big push to get wool processing back in the country. Right. So hey, that's that's mad. Um, I can't, it's just yeah. I it is it, mad. I find it preposterous. But anyway, so well, we we grow the sheep, we rear the sheep, 
we um, shear the sheep, um, that we send our wool to China that's to be scoured, and then we bring it back to and New then, Zealand, and then it's uh, it's felted. felted. And the two felters that exist in the country, they are both scouring merino wool, but they won't scour our wool because it's not that fine grade merino, yeah, yeah. and they're scared that one of the fibres would escape. Oh, into their fine, into into their their fine, fine quality. So just explain again uh, which part of the shearing, like. Which but, part of the, the wool yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the underbelly of the sheep, Mark. Yeah. It's, it's the parts that really have no commercial value. They're not good for the textile industry. And the cost of collecting them when you shear the sheep is more than the value of the product. When that wool gets cast aside as rubbish yes. um, by the shearer, but by the. The farmer. Yes. Um, do you collect it? I mean, not you, but like you, you, who collects it? So we have brokers that we work with. Yep. And all the wool that comes into the system is auctioned. And what normally happens with that crappy stuff before you nothing. came along? It, it, well, before we came along, there was nothing happening. Well, what so, happened? I mean, didn't it sit and pile up in a shed somewhere? What do they do? No, doing? it just lay on the ground or went to landfill or. Yeah, you so know, it's got it, swept was, up and yeah, thrown away. Yeah, no demand for it. Right. So we've created a demand for a waste product. And when you look at the opportunities, like, you know, so many times it's the drought-stricken farmers. So what we've done is increase the yield to those farmers. Yeah, so they get more off a of sheep. Yeah, they get more off a of sheep. It's it's a, it's a great story. But somehow you'll, you'd be probably buying it for a good price because, um, you know, before they had to either store it, get rid of it, put it to the waste, burn it, I don't know, whatever the hell. And now you're paying them for it and they're making more dough out of their, their sheep. They're, Which is a wonderful story. They're optimising the wool off the back of the sheep. Yes, yeah, that's great. exactly. So you, you've been able to increase, increase the revenue position of farmers, which is always something great for farmers. I mean, I'm a farmer, but I don't have sheep, I have cattle. But it's, it's a great outcome for them. Um, you're using a product that would otherwise be discarded um, for, your, for your product. Yes. Um, your product actually has uh, better thermal qualities than um, polystyrene. Can you, apart from the thermal outcomes, can you, is, I mean, the way I look at it, it looks like things would fit nice and snug in there. It looks like um, a rug to me when I look at it. Does it? Yeah. yeah. It, it looks like a blanket or a rug. Um, does, does this protect things from breaking or moving around a bit it better? It provides cushioning in yeah. transit, which is wonderful. Um, but as I said, I think Australians have a great affinity with wool and I have to say that in the four years that we've been in business, never once have I encountered anybody that doesn't like the product. So it's amazing. People, it's a very textual product. It's like you need to feel. It's, it's tactile, it's, yeah. It's, yes, it's like. I know. And, I, I, I can sort of, I mean, I'm making a bit of noise now, but I can sort of see it myself. I'm looking at it. What about the box? Tell me about the box. So is, is this like a waterproof box? Not, not waterproof, but you know what I mean? Like, we do a water resistant. Like like I say, we develop fit for purpose. Right. Um, in the seafood industry, obviously they need water resistant and leak proof. Yep. We supply a lot into the pharmaceutical sector and the pharmaceutical sector needs more high performance product. Can you explain what, what, what the pharma, like where, where would be use of pharmaceutical sector? Because I'm not, not aware of how it gets used. So- well, all the drugs and everything that are shipped around the country. So pharmaceuticals comprises of everything from chemotherapy, vaccines. We've just patented our vaccine protector that will enable like shipping of vaccines. I guess that's good for the AstraZeneca one as opposed to the uh, Pfizer one because the Pfizer one's... Uh, At minus kept... 70 degrees, yeah. we can engineer our solution to achieve minus 70 degrees. Wow. So that's a fantastic achievement. Especially if it's got to be sent because one of the issues around the uh, Pfizer vaccine is that you can't get out to regional areas because of that's the exactly right temperature so, maintenance stuff. So yes. great is if Australian wool could do that, or Australian waste wool could do that. It's incredible. So other things are like um, probiotics, um, vaccines, uh, chemotherapy. Oh, so many things. IVF. We do work a lot in the veterinary space. Um, Botox, cosmeceuticals. Well, what about like if I go to the doctor and I get a, 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 a blood test? I mean, because I mean, I just see my, I've seen it at the front of my, my doctor's surgery. Uh, All the polystyrene. esky type thing, which you have is written on there like to be collected or whatever it is. Um, are they using these things? No, it's very exciting that you mentioned that because I'm meeting with the blood bank on Thursday. Oh, cool. 
Yeah. That's very good. So they've got a sustainability initiative and they're trying to eliminate polystyrene out so of their supply chain. So if you go to these chain. big pathology organisations who collect all these um, things that doctors prepare, because every, every doctor every day has got something going in to be tested. And the beauty of this product is it's reusable. It looks better. Yeah, it looks, totally. But it, it just looks better to me. I mean, yeah. uh, this is very slick looking. It looks it looks cool. Like it's very Aussie. I mean, have you, have you been able to get it break into any overseas markets? No, that's the plan. We're raising capital at the moment. We just started out, we launched our capital raise last week. Um, we're establishing operation in Tasmania in June. So that's great. So the, the vision is to expand our geographical footprint and we're doing our um, market entry feasibility. We're moving into Southeast Asia. Amazingly, Australia and New Zealand is just 1.8% of the global packaging market. And Asia, right on our doorstep, is 43%. So it makes sense. Like the statistics around Asia are incredible. Like 90% of the plastic in the ocean is coming from just 10 rivers and eight of those rivers are located in Southeast Asia. Wow. So there's huge opportunities for us over there. A lot of these countries, the people don't have any proper disposable processes and disposal processes, they just throw shit in the river. Yeah, that's exactly right. And yeah. then it ends up in the sea. Yes. And as you say, it ends up in in fish um, in fish as well and yeah. ends, up, ends up in our bellies. But we have, in this country, we have no idea how bad it is over there. Yeah, well, I have an idea. You do, but we generally but speaking don't have people see it. on the television and the thing that really astounds me, Mark, is I'm four years into this journey and we talk and talk and talk and the government, you know, like it's so sad for me as an Aussie to go over to New Zealand and see the Kiwis are so ahead of the game. Like, you know, that you you work with the big supermarkets over there and they're wanting to initiate change. Like even the government is doing things, but even people have taken it upon themselves. And like, you, you know, you said at the beginning of this conversation, we all see the problem, but I've taken it one step further. Um, yes, I have, but we can all do something. And the way that people can is vote with their wallet, okay? Don't support businesses who are using polystyrene. And there's one thing that really, in this whole journey, the thing that I really underestimated is how long it ta- would take people to convert. They love the product, so why don't they change? because they're lazy, because there's inertia. You know, like, it's incredible. You know, I had one very large, iconic Australian company that I met in Tasmania last week, and they had 11 people in the meeting, all from a different perspective, like the brand, the sustainability, the logistics and everything. And at the end of the conversation, the man who runs the warehouse, he said, love, he said, we love your product. It's fantastic. But he said, polystyrene's easy. He said, why don't you come back once it's legislated? Right. Can, can you imagine? Like, so we need the governments to be doing more to support and to accelerate the date. Like, we all know this problematic material. Let's unite to do something about it. So do you see yourself as some, you sound like as somewhat as evangelist? A crusader. I do sound yeah. a bit like that, yeah. don't I? No, but do you, f- you feel that? that- I mean, yes, I'm I, very passionate, Mark. But is it a – are you passionate about the business story, about, you know, your own bottom line, your own value proposition you're building, or are you – irrespective of that, you're passionate about I'm passionate about thing. leaving a legacy. Changing I'm things. I'm passionate about change. Is this stuff priced equivalent to – We've poly- engineered our solution that it's price competitive with polystyrene. And when you factor in all the inherent cost savings – we just converted a client in New Zealand last week. 73% of their warehouse space was dedicated to polystyrene storage. Huh. Now, you know what rents are like. Yeah. What is the cost for them to keep that on their premises? That's crazy. So when you factor those, less pallet movements, lower labour cost. You know, what about weight? Weight comparative? Weight, it's slightly heavier than polystyrene, but you can see it's very yeah, lightweight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, to be honest with you, it looks better. <laughs> Yes. And, and, and I mean, I quite like what's written all over it too. I mean, that's pretty clever what you put on there. I like the name Woolpack. It's it's very 
It's a good name, Woolpack. I mean, yeah. I mean, it is packaging, but it's it's wool and I mean, it's, it's a bit punchy. It, it says yeah. the story straight up. Yes, the colours are good. I mean, this particular box—I don't know what the other box looks like. I mean, as I said earlier, there's, there's a sheep, a very proud-looking. Looks maybe it's a merino sheep. I wouldn't know, but it's a very proud um, sheep standing there. He's um, very regal, isn't he? It could be a ram, he? and he says, and it says, "Saving their planet one pack at a time." And then on the side of it, it's got the things, the characteristics of what Woolpack does, and it says it ticks all the boxes, and it says. Reduced transport and storage costs, constructed of food-safe materials. In other words, not going to contaminate your food. Outperforms other thermal packaging solutions, structural integrity and protective cushioning. Uh, I don't know what this word is. Uh, hygro- Hygroscopic. It's called the growth of bacteria. In other words, it, there are health benefits in, in terms totally, of- Totally, yeah. and it means it absorbs moisture. Right, okay. Yeah. That's the wall does that. Yes, yeah. that's right. Um, less pallet movements and lower labour costs. That makes a lot of sense to me. Lower carbon footprint. I love that uh, process of, um, you know, the lower carbon footprint. People probably don't understand how it quite works, but nonetheless, it's there, and I think people would accept it. And it's written there: recyclable, biodegradable, and sustainable. Like, I mean, you can't Why get past not it. change. You know, yeah, I mean, you it makes can't. sense. But the problem is, people got to know about it. They got to see that. They've yes. got to have an opportunity to see that. And as a startup, you know, it's hard. You've got limited resources. Yep. You know, getting the word out. I have to say that when I won the Cartier Women's Initiative mid last year, that was a game changer. Like they've been fantastic in opening up windows and and you know brokering introductions and yeah. So it's it's really um, that was the thing that really reset my mind um, to to think big, like to really look at the opportunities. We say we're on a mission to eliminate polystyrene. We are in a race to become the market leader in sustainable thermal packaging that doesn't harm the planet. Joe, is there powerful people in this country who won't like the fact that you're going to cut them out of business? The polystyrene manufacturers. Uh, but are they powerful individuals behind these things? I'm sure they are. Yeah, and are they pushing? And I'm sure that they have very big margins and I think that And they've got they, a lot to protect. They have. And are they pushing on you? Are they? Are they? Uh, do you feel any pressure from these organisations? Do you... Are they politically aligned that's such that it's going to cause you, you know, a, a problem? Well, they must be politically aligned because, you know, the government, everybody sees the damage that these plastics and polystyrene is one of the worst. So with all the initiatives that are in place through the packaging covenant, you know, they talk about single-use plastics and polystyrene cups, but they don't look at the big problem. There's literally thousands of polystyrene boxes being dispatched all around the country every week. And if the government can bring forward the legislation, at the moment it's for discussion between 2024 and 2026. Like, you know. In the um, interest of time, do you have a, before I say something, do you have a question for me? Because it might be what I'm going to say that answers your question, but do you have a question for me? Yes, I would like to understand how I could reach out and accelerate the transition away from polystyrene to connect with more big businesses. We have 350 customers across Australia and New Zealand, and a lot of them are smaller customers who are really trying to establish their brand and sustainability is important to them. But I find that there's this inertia in big businesses and there's this resistance to change. How can I change that, Mark? Well, you've got to talk to the right people within the business. So that's about elevating it. I mean, you gave us an example of an organisation you saw recently where the um, store manager, whatever you call it, the warehouse guy, said, um, great product, but, uh, you know, we're not ready for it or along those lines. Yeah. These things need to be elevated at the at the board levels, I think. Because yes. Because board members are terrified about being on notice about something and they're not doing anything about, anything about it. I know because I'm, I'm on boards and I know – how we all respond to um, being environmentally, not only unfriendly, but ir- environmentally r- irresponsible, for example. Now, yes. I don't think you can expect governments to do anything for you, and I'll tell you why. Governments very rarely make changes through legislation ahead of the curve. They generally come in whilst it's happening, so they just join in yes. the curve. Yeah. They're not, they're not going to be preemptive. Yeah. Because they have too many other things to do. They've got pressure against them. They don't want to do anything that's politically sensitive. They don't want to lose an election. They don't want to put themselves in a position at any time whereby they can do something that's 
with high initiative. They don't do high initiative things because by the time it gets through the, let's say, the caucus or through the their own process, it gets diluted. Yes. And and to a point where, no, no, look, it's 54 to 38. Um, but, you know, because the, the, one, the, you know, the 16 people voted against it, that's because they're a little bit nervous about what it might do to their, their electorate or their, their ability to be re-elected. You can employ lobby groups and you can do all that sort of stuff. You're not big enough yet. There hasn't been enough time passed yet in relation to your product and just generally around polystyrene that will allow you to get governments to take that initiative. I don't think so. I agree with you. It's going to come from your consumers or your um, the corporations that you supply. But to get to them, you're going to have to get to people with imagination. Yes. And and you need to get to people with with yeah. something to lose. Yeah, I but think it's a good idea as opposed to, to something to gain. Yeah, we go obviously as senior in the organisation. Like we try to get to, to the but they, decision but they makers, push back. but they push. They back. They say, "Go and see my." So ma- we ma- need ma- to go and talk to the board. I think that's a great yeah, idea. And just Mark. hit them up. I mean, yeah. and 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 look, you're when you from what you're telling me for when you pitch your idea to and I look right on read down the side of this box when you pitch your idea to the warehouse manager, you're pitching to him what he's got to gain. Yes. I'm going to read down, that's all these things I'm going to gain. Reduce transport, storage. They don't affect him. He couldn't give a shit about that, right? Correct. When you pitch to a board, you pitch to them what they can lose. Yes. Not what they can gain. Yes. Because if there's about what I can gain, they say, well, go and talk to the store manager and let him decide. Well, increasingly, you know that boards just... They, they no longer just report financially. They've got to report on their sustainability so it's about goals. What can you? What have you got to lose? You've yeah. got to put it to them. This is what this is what you could get going to get to lose if you don't do these things. You've got to give it to them in the negative. Yes, that's the only way you can get their attention. Bad news sells. Yeah, you know, bad news. Unfortunately, bad news yes. gets attention. You're going about it in a very positive way by you know, it's positively boxed. It's very beautiful. It works, but yeah. that won't get them to change the way they do things. They, they, they Right now they tool up in a certain way. They don't need to change because they already make a margin. They're making a profit. Um, there's no need to change. There's nothing to gain. That's right. And so, you know, even if you come and say it's the same price, yeah. there's nothing to gain. Yes. You've got to tell them what they're going to lose. And yeah, the that's only a great ones approach. That, the only ones that respond it. are board members yes. because a store manager doesn't give a shit about all that, about what he's got to lose. He's not interested because yeah. it's not his problem. Yes. He's just following orders. His problem is making sure that he makes budget. Yes. And it doesn't make any changes. Yeah, understood. So go to the people who've got something to lose and put it, to, put it to them that they've got something to lose. Yeah. Joanne Howarth, thank you very much. It's been it's a fascinating discussion for me. Um, I think time will get you there anyway, to be frank with you. So it's important you raise your money to say you can stay in the game because we need people like you in the game. Time will get you there because, as you said earlier, there is a massive wave of this and eventually it will get legislated because the the government will get sucked into the wave. Unfortunately, Joanne won't change the government's mind. You no. won't change them. Yeah. The wave will draw them in as yeah. it grows. It is getting bigger. So your game is to stay in the game just like the government's game is to stay in the game. And garner support, yeah. Keep building and building and building yeah. and if you're going to go to a board, pick one or two boards that you think can change things and tell them what is they've got to lose if they don't do this. Fantastic. Thanks for the advice, Mark. I appreciate it. You're most welcome. Thanks for bringing this. This is a fantastic product. 